If you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to go to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready and open today. We will refer back to these verses often throughout our time together. And last week we started this series, The Good Life, and we laid a foundation in John chapter 10 that the abundant life is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the starting point. That is the foundation. And today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse number 8. If you're ready to dive into God's word today, would you say amen? Verse number 8. It says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, be merciful, be gracious. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life, everybody say, love life, and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him askew or refrain from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. And we'll pause right there this morning. And for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject. So you had a bad day. Anybody want to sing it this morning? So you had a bad day. We're going to study these verses from 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open today as we dive into these verses. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you that we can come together and worship you and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords that defeated the grave. And God, I pray that today, over the next few minutes, we will be able to look to your word and have a clear understanding of what it really means to live the good life that is found in you. And Lord, I pray that we would have a holy focus and attention on your word. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. And God, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified in our time together. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said today, how many of you have ever had a bad day? Anybody like that? Okay. How many of you uh, have ever had a bad week? Anybody like that? How many of you had a bad week this week? Anybody like that? How about, how about today? Anybody having a bad day today? Okay. And, uh, you know, we all know what it's like to have bad days. Sometimes a bad day will come out of nowhere. I saw a video uh, this week of a person that was on a roller coaster just getting ready to have a great time when all of a sudden a bird came out of nowhere and hit them in the face. I have a video this morning for us.
She thought she was going to have a great day at the amusement park, going to ride some roller coasters, have some fun, all of a sudden smacked in the face by a bird. And sometimes that's how life is. You're ready to have a good day, and then all of a sudden you get uh, one bad text message, one angry coworker, one uh, discouraging piece of information. And all of a sudden, you find yourself having a bad day. I think all of us can relate to having these days that are frustrating, days that are exhausting, days that uh, bring discouragement. In the Old Testament, uh, Solomon uh, was uh, the wisest man to live. And Solomon, in the Old Testament, he talked uh, about good days and he talked about bad days. And he put it this way in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 14. He said, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. So if you're having a good day, rejoice. In the day of prosperity, when things are going well, you can be joyful. But in the day of adversity, in a bad day, in a difficult day, consider. God also has set the one over against the other. In other words, God has ordained both. God has ordained both the good days and the bad days, and God is sovereign both in the good days and the bad days. And so Solomon in all of his wisdom says, if you're having a good day, rejoice, praise the Lord. Uh, You can celebrate that good day. If you're having a bad day, pause and consider and just know uh, that God is still working even in those bad days. I want you to know that the God that we worship uh, is sovereign and he is on the throne in the good times and in the bad times. When you are sad, when you are frustrated, when you are discouraged, when it feels like you are having bad day after bad day and in a bad season, I want you to know that our God is still faithful and he is still working behind the scenes and he is still on the throne. Solomon says, if you're having a good day, rejoice. If you're having a bad day, pause and consider and just know that God is still working. Now, this morning we're going to come to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look and examine uh, this section of Scripture and examine uh, this idea of the good life. Now, uh, Peter was writing to the church that was scattered throughout Asia Minor, and I think we have a map this morning. Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey, and Peter was writing to the church that was scattered, and the reason the church was scattered is because they were experiencing an intense season of persecution. Now, Uh, The church had already experienced great persecution leading up to this. Uh, No doubt they had already had some bad days and some difficulty and some turmoil. But things were really intensified when Peter was writing this letter uh, because in about A.D. 64, the Roman emperor Nero came onto the scene and he really ushered in this systematic persecution of followers of Jesus. And so while they had experienced persecution before, it was nothing like this. Uh, Nero was a very cruel and, and, and would bring in very grotesque forms of, uh, of persecution to the early church. Uh, Nero would do things like feed Christians to uh, lions. He would light them on fire. Uh, many Christians were crucified just for claiming to be followers of Jesus. In fact, just within five years of Peter writing this letter, Peter would be crucified upside down for his faith. And so this church knew all about bad days. They knew all about suffering. They knew all about difficulty. They knew all about persecution. And right in the middle of that intense persecution and targeted persecution for followers of Jesus, this is what Peter says in verse number 10. Right in the middle of all that difficulty, he says in verse number 10, for he that will love life and see good days. Right in the middle of all that persecution, Peter is talking about the good life. He's talking about having good days. Peter is saying, hey, I know that, that, that times are difficult. And I know that Nero is a deranged psychopath. And I know that you're being targeted for what you believe. I know your schedule is intense. I know that you're stressed. I know that you're busy. But in the midst of all that, you can love life and see good days. How is that possible? 
Did you know that God wants you to enjoy life? So many followers of Jesus, we go through our lives as, uh, uh, like we have no hope. But can I tell you that the Bible says that we do not sorrow as those that have no hope? Uh, we have this hope that is an anchor for our soul. And so we have a different perspective uh, on life. And so many followers of Jesus, they go through life miserable, and they go through life uh, not enjoying the day today. Solomon, we talked about him earlier. He said that he experienced good days and bad days and kind of gave us this perspective that God is in control and has ordained both the good days and bad days. But if anyone knew uh, about uh, what the world has to offer for a good life, it was Solomon, right? I mean, Solomon had everything that the good life has to offer from a worldly perspective. Uh, Solomon had uh, riches and fame and power and palaces and women. He, Solomon had anything in life that he wanted. In fact, uh, the Bible says in Second Chronicles that there was a time when the queen of Sheba heard about Solomon and his power and his fame. And so the queen of Sheba decided to go and to uh, visit Solomon and kind of to, to, to see everything that was going on in his kingdom. And so she went, and when she saw in 2 Chronicles chapter number 9, the Bible says that it literally took her breath away. She was breathless, the Bible says, that, that, that when she saw his power and everything that he had, it took her breath. She was speechless. She couldn't even uh, imagine the kind of power and influence and fame and, and money that Solomon had. Yet in the middle of all of that, Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 17. Therefore, I hated life. Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He had everything that you could want in life. Success, achievement, prosperity, power, position, fame. And what did he say? I hated my life. He didn't enjoy life. And so if the good life is not about financial freedom, if the good life is not about flexibility in your schedule, if the good life is not about success and achievement, then what is the good life really all about? And right in the middle of all of this difficulty in these dark days that Peter is writing to, he's going to talk about how to have some good days and how to love life from a biblical perspective. Are you ready to see what Peter has to say and how we can experience uh, the good life? Uh, four ways today, uh, four insights that will help us overcome bad days and learn to enjoy life. Are you ready today? Number one is this. The good life is not about seeking happiness. It's about seeking harmony. The good life is not about seeking happiness. It's about seeking harmony. Now, the first practical step to uh, living the good life is to cultivate healthy, harmonious relationships. Uh, I want you to see it in verse number eight. Notice what the Bible says. He says, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, one another. Everybody say one another. Having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And so uh, Peter lists these five things. He says, be agreeable, have one mind, be united, be compassionate, be loving, be sympathetic, uh, be friendly, be courteous. And he's talking about how we should have relationships in Christian community and have harmonious relationships together. And so what he's telling us is the secret to a good life and the secret to true joy and satisfaction is not about pleasing self. It's actually about serving and loving other people. You want to experience the good life and you want to experience uh, true joy, then you will be fixated on how can I bless someone else? How can I serve someone else? How can I love someone else? This is what Peter is saying. He, he says in verse number eight, hey, make sure that you are focusing on others. Augustine famously said this. He said, on essentials, unity, 
on non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. He says, prioritize love and loving and serving one another. First Thessalonians 4 puts it this way in verse number 9. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And so Peter is saying, hey, prioritize uh, prioritize your relationships and not just seeking your own happiness, but seeking to live in harmony with other believers in the context of Christian community. Uh, now, uh, there is one pastor and author. His name is Tony Merida. And he talks about three reasons and three groups of people that do not experience this kind of uh, harmonious community in Christian living. He says, in living, and he says there's three groups. Uh, the first group that he mentions are the sensationalists. And he says, some people don't get involved in Christian community and get plugged into a small group and really serve. And it's because they're sensationalists. Uh, they're looking for what is sensational. We'll come to a big event and uh, we'll come to an Easter Sunday. We'll come to a Christmas experience because we want to see something big and spectacular and sensational. But a weekly Bible study midweek, a little less exciting. And so sometimes we don't get involved because we're looking for something big. We're looking for something grand, something that's going to really uh, shock and awe us. And so there are the sensationalists. And then uh, there are the second group of people known as the mystics. And he says the mystics, these people kind of have this me and Jesus uh, only type of Christianity where I'm just going to kind of worship by myself in nature and I'm just going to kind of be by myself and I don't see the need for Christian community. Now, uh, we can worship Jesus wherever. We can worship Jesus in the beauty of creation. Aren't you thankful for that? But we have to also remember that the Bible says forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. And so there's this, this mystical kind of view where it's very mysterious and it's just, I, I don't need uh, relationships. I don't need Christian community. I'm good all on my own. And then there's a third group that he mentions, and that group is the idealists. And the idealists have this uh, very lofty expectation of what Christian community needs to look like. And uh, I have these certain expectations and these certain ideas of what I feel like a Christian community should be. And, and uh, that Bible study was a little too long for me. And that Bible study was a little too short for me. And that Bible study didn't go deep enough. And that Bible study went too deep and confused me. And so we have all of these uh, lofty expectations. And what we end up doing is just going from place to face, uh, place to place with our uh, ideas always left unmet. Our expectations left unmet. I want you to know this, that God did not call us to belong to a perfect community. God simply called us to belong, to, to be a part of a Christian community. And, and, and this is what Peter is saying. You want to experience the good life? You want to experience some joy? Then get rooted, get planted, get plugged into a local church and love one another, serve one another, uh, be a blessing to one another, show kindness, show compassion, show sympathy one to another. And so he says, hey, uh, it's not about seeking happiness, it's about seeking harmony. Now, notice verse number nine. Everybody still with me today? Verse nine, he says, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. He's saying this, stop trying to get even. So often in spiritual immaturity, we're, we're constantly trying to get even and even the score. And, and uh, there's something about our depraved human nature that likes the feeling of sweet revenge. And uh, I, I saw this week, this past week, there was a McDonald's worker that got fired because there was a rude customer that went through the drive-thru. And so the McDonald's worker decided that he was going to take sweet and sour sauce instead of caramel for the McFlurry and pour that on there. I think we have a picture of this. Now, there's something that, yeah, there's something that's in us that says, got him. You know, like a little bit, a little bit of satisfaction. Well, maybe he deserved it, right? And uh, there's something uh, within us that, that enjoys a little bit of that revenge. And Peter is saying, 
as followers of Jesus, don't do that. He says, don't exchange railing for railing. In other words, slander for slander. That person talked bad about me, I'll talk bad about them. That person didn't text me back, I won't text them back. That person gave me a dirty look, I can give some dirty looks too. And we live in this constant transactional state where I'm going to get even. You harmed me, I'll harm you. Peter says that is not the way to the good life. You're going to end up just living frustrated. He said, don't exchange railing uh, for railing. Notice he goes on in verse number nine. He says, but contrarywise, actually the complete opposite is what you should do. You should give a blessing knowing that you are there and called. Did you know that God has called you and commanded you to be a blessing? I wonder when was the last time that you intentionally sought to go and to bless someone else in Christian community? How can I be a blessing? I want to bless someone. Hey, the next time someone gives you a dirty look, sends you a mean text message, puts you on red, doesn't respond to you, uh, the next time someone bothers you, you know how you should respond biblically? Bless them. Is not that what Jesus said? What, What did Jesus say? Luke 6, 28. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And so the next time someone is irritating you, the next time someone is agitating you, the next time someone is bothering you, my, my, my four-year-old daughter, Blakely, whenever her brother is bothering her, she always says, Mom, uh, Luke is blothering me. He's blothering me again. Uh, the next time someone is blothering you, bugging you, get, getting on your nerves, the next time someone is just pushing your buttons, you know how you should respond? Bless them. And you know what's going to happen if you do that? As difficult as that sounds, notice the end of verse number nine that you should inherit a blessing. You give a blessing, and in return, you will get a blessing. A biblical blessing is kind of like a boomerang. You throw it, it's going to come right back at you. And so if you bless someone else and you go out of your way to be intentional, hey, I'm going to bless you even though you're bugging me, even though you're bothering me, even though you're getting on my nerves, even though you've uh, been unkind to me, I'm going to bless you. And the Bible says, in return, you will inherit a blessing. And so if you want to live the good life and you want to have joy and see some good days and you want to have less bad days and more good days, seek to be a blessing to those people in your life. Uh, It's not about seeking our own happiness. It's about seeking harmony. Lee Strobel said this, if you're a follower of Jesus, but you feel distant from him during this era of your life, if you're having difficulty resting easy in his forgiveness, could it be because you're blatantly refusing to let go of your animosity toward another person? See, maybe we struggle to live the good life because someone else is holding the key to our happiness because we have not learned to forgive and to bless those that curse us. And so, so Paul said, Peter says, hey, uh, this good life, d- don't start with the idea of, okay, I got to figure out, you know, the pursuit of happiness. What's going to make me happy? Uh, start by seeking harmony and watch how you will be blessed in return. Uh, that's number uh, one today. Are you ready for number two? Here's the second thought. The good life is not about controlling people. It's about controlling your words. The good life is not about controlling people. It's about controlling your words. How many of you would be honest this morning in the house of God and say, I'm a little bit of a control freak. Anybody like that? You like to be in control? Okay. I see those hands. We'll have an invitation later today. We like to be in control. And so often we think, 
if I can just get people to think like me, and if I can just get people to do what I want them to do, and if I can just get people to get on the same page with me, then I'll be happy. And we think that happiness is found in controlling people. And if I can get everybody on the same page, and if I can control some people, then I'll finally be at peace. And then when they start understanding how I think and how I do things, then I will be happy. But Peter gives such practical insight, and he says, that's not true. Notice what he says in verse 10. Everybody with me? He says, for he that will love life and see good days, here's the secret. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Probably not what you were expecting, right? Remember, they're in the time of Nero experiencing intense persecution, and they're experiencing some dark days, some bad days, and Peter says, hey, you want to love life and see good days? Learn to refrain your tongue from speaking evil. And so he's saying it's not about controlling people, it's about controlling your words. Did you know that your words have the power to set the direction for your whole life? The trajectory of your whole life can be in the right direction with the right words and in the wrong direction with the wrong words. And so he's saying, hey, learn to refrain your tongue from speaking evil. Now, uh, Peter is directly quoting here from the Old Testament. Uh, These next few verses, he's pulling directly uh, from the book of Psalms. In Psalm chapter 34, verse number 12, he says, What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, uh, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace in to pursue it. He's saying, uh, learn to control your words. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The other night, um, we were reading this book with our kids at nighttime, and we were uh, learning some fun facts about an anteater. And I was pretty blown away. It's been a while since I've really studied up on my anteater knowledge. And I think we have a picture this morning. Anteaters are interesting Animals, right? It's probably been a while since you've really looked at an anteater. And uh, uh, we were learning about these facts, and I was just blown away learning about the anteater. And I learned that an anteater, go to the next slide, has a tongue that is two feet long. It's a pretty long tongue, right? And an anteater can eat up to 30,000 ants and termites in one day. It can do a lot of damage with that long tongue. Can I tell you, spiritually speaking, You can do a lot of damage with your tongue. You can cause a lot of pain with your tongue. James put it this way, the brother of Jesus. He said, and the tongue, in James 3, verse number 6, and the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Your tongue. A lot of times we're not experiencing good days because we're speaking the wrong words and we're complaining and we're negative and we're letting corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. No wonder that we're just seeing bad days. It's all we talk about. And Peter's saying, you want to see good days? Refrain your tongue from speaking evil. Proverbs 15, 23 says this, a man that hath joy, everybody say joy, by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? A word spoken in due season, how good is it? How you speak about your season will determine how you experience your season. How you speak about, are you speaking life into your season? Or are you speaking poison and toxicity into your season? He says, a word in due season, how good is it? Now, there are two specific ways in which we should control our words. Do you want to hear them today? Uh, Two specific ways, quickly. Uh, First, we have to speak with holiness. Holiness. Notice verse number 10. 
He says, for he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And so he says, guard your tongue, keep your tongue from speaking and communicating evil. Why? The mouth is always a revelation of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so he says, you've got to speak with holiness. Ephesians 5, verse 2 and 3 says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. He's saying as followers of Jesus, as Christians, uh, the standard of your uh, godliness and character should be elevated, right? He's saying you shouldn't live as the world lives. He says, let it not be once named among you. As becometh saints, you you should let your faith actually attract people to the gospel uh, by the way in which you're living, by the way in which you are speaking. And then he says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. He's saying, guard what you say. Uh, Guard what you're speaking into the season in which you are living. I read this week, usnews.com. They said, uh, they did this study, and they said that cursing is the most common way that Americans deal with frustrations. They said the average first curse word spoken in a day is 1054 a.m., Having a bad day, and I'm just going to uh, try to alleviate some of that stress by what I speak. Uh, I want to encourage you that you can uh, dramatically and quickly turn a bad day into a good day by learning to speak life and learning to speak godliness and learning to speak truth over your situation. And so Peter says, you want to see good days? Speak life into your situation. Speak holiness. But not only holiness, not only to speak with holiness, but secondly, to speak with honesty. Honesty. Notice verse number 10. He says at the end of verse number 10, in his lips that they speak no guile. The word guile refers to deception, to distorting the facts, to lying. And we live in a, in a culture where that little white lie has become completely acceptable, and it's a tolerated sin. According to the American Payroll Association, 43% of hourly workers admit to exaggerating their work hours during their shifts. Time theft in the United States cost businesses over $400 billion. Just bending the truth here and there, telling a little white lie here and there, and so often we do it without even thinking. Just to kind of make ourselves look a little better in a story, we exaggerate the truth. Just to kind of uh, please people, we don't want to let someone down, so we uh, exaggerate the truth. We bend the truth, and we lie, and we will get comfortable in that place. And the Bible says in, in Proverbs 29, verse number 1, Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. And so if you want to control your life, control your words. Here's a third thought today. Number three is this. The good life is not about the approval of others. It's about the approval of Jesus. And so the good life is not found in the approval of others. It's found in the approval of Jesus. Everybody with me today? Notice verse 11. He says, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And so Peter says, yes, you should seek to live a good godly life. You you should strive uh, after godliness. But notice verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And so yes, we are called to to live a godly life and to refrain from evil and to eschew uh, from uh, evil. But why should we do that? Because the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And so what is our motivation? It's not to do good to please people. Our motivation is to do good because God is watching. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. We do what we do, not for the approval of man. We do what we do for the approval of Jesus. He's watching. And so we want to please him who had chosen us to be a soldier. First Thessalonians 2 verse number 4 says, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth 
our hearts. See, if you try to please people always, you're going to be frustrated. But if you always try to please Jesus, you'll be fulfilled. And so the good life is not about pleasing people. It's about pleasing Jesus. Now, I want you to see this. I want you to see verse number 11. Everybody with me? Can you see verse number 11? Verse number 11 says this. Let him eschew evil. That's an old English word. It, it means to refrain, but honestly, it's stronger than that. It means to hate. To hate evil. And, and, and so what that means is we don't minimize sin. We don't tolerate sin. We don't call sin, oh, it's no big deal. It's just my little habit that I struggle with every once in a while. You know, just my little secret. Nobody knows. It's no big deal. No, no. Peter says, hey, hate it. Sin destroys lives. So eschew it. Refrain from it. Hate it. Get rid of it. Don't tolerate what God has called you to terminate. Get rid of it. Eschew evil. Okay. He says, excuse me, and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. And so verse number 11, if you want to write in your Bible, I think this is a helpful distinction for verse 11 and verse number 12. Uh, if you want to write in your Bible, verse number 11, you can write next to it, sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being set apart to become more like Jesus, to be uh, set apart, to, to, to uh, become more and more like him. It's this ongoing process that will never come to completion until our glorification in heaven. And so once we are saved, we are declared righteous. But how many of you know there's still an ongoing struggle that we battle on a daily basis against our flesh and this war between the flesh and the spirit? And so Peter says, hey, refrain from evil, pursue good. That's sanctification. Everybody tracking? Now, next to verse number 12, write this word, motivation. Because what is our motivation for sanctification? Because if your motivation for sanctification is to please someone else, if it's to make yourself look better, if it's just to please someone at work or to please someone in your family, then you have the wrong motivation. Because here is the motivation, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. So verse number 11 is sanctification. We're to do good. Verse number 12 tells us why we should do good because God is watching and he longs to hear from us. And so when we are struggling, when we are having a bad day, just know that God is in heaven uh, waiting to hear from you, wanting to answer your prayers. And so that is the appropriate motivation. So the good life is not about the approval of others. The good life is about the approval of Jesus. Everybody thankful for that today? Here's the last and final thought today about the good life. Number four, the good life is not about avoiding pain. It's about acknowledging his purpose. The good life, it's not about avoiding pain because we can't, but it is about acknowledging his purpose. Notice verse number 13. Watch verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Did everybody see it? Verse number 13. All right, I'm going to read it again. Okay. I want everybody to see it. Verse number 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? In other words, who is going to harm you who is going to be very cruel to you when you're showing them good deeds, right? Like if that person at work that just really bugs you, if you show up tomorrow with their favorite Starbucks drink and put it on their desk, they're probably in that moment not going to cuss you out, right? But if they do, keep reading verse number 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness sake, if they do cuss you out when you bring that Starbucks and you try to bless them, but, and if you suffer for righteousness sake, watch this happy are you? He doesn't say, if you suffer for righteousness sake, just hold on. I know life is so tough. Just hold on and, and just try to navigate those dark days. If you're suffering for righteousness sake, just, I, I know how hard it is. Just hold on. No, he says, happy are you? 
Don't allow pain permission to access your joy. Don't let someone else hold the keys to your happiness. He says, happy are you. You can actually experience joy in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulty. Is that not what James said? He said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That God can do something good even in the midst of your bad days. That God wants to redeem your bad days and turn them for good. He says in verse number 14, happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. He says, Peter's not ignoring the facts of reality. He knows that there's going to be difficult situations, but he's calling the church to rise above and to operate in the realm of faith. He says, happy are you. See, Jesus went about doing good. That's what it says in the book of Acts, that Jesus literally went about doing good, that he went about healing and loving and showing grace and kindness, and he went about doing good. And what did they do in return for his goodness? They whipped him, they beat him, they put nails in his hands and his feet and crucified him and murdered him. See, we're not always going to experience blessing from the world. In fact, the Bible says that we're gonna experience opposition from the world. But here's the good news that Peter says, if that happens, you can still be happy, you can still love life, you can still see good days because your joy is not linked to a circumstance, your joy is linked to Christ, and that is unbreakable. And so he says, happy are you, you can have good days. Tertullian said this, the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. See, the good life, it's not about avoiding pain. It's about acknowledging his purpose. Back in 2009, there was a man named Greg Epstein who wrote a book called Good Without God good without God. He's an atheist. He's a humanist. And just a couple weeks ago, he was in the news because he became the president of the chaplain's ministry at Harvard University, which was a very interesting choice because Harvard University was founded on Christian principles by a Puritan pastor. And so the fact that they chose an atheist and a humanist to be the president of the chaplains caused a lot of people to think that's an unusual choice. Even the New York Times said, this is, this is pretty odd. But Greg Epstein, when he got nominated in, he said this, He said, we don't look to a God for answers. This was just a couple weeks ago at Harvard. We don't look to a God for answers. We are each other's answers. Many people today have this mindset and this philosophy that we're good without God. We are each other's answers. But I just wanna implore you and remind you today, we are not good without God. We are helpless without God. And I want to tell you, we are not each other's answers. None of us have the answers for eternal life, but the answers for eternal life, God has, and God gives us. And we can love each other. We can help each other. We can do our best to be uh, good citizens and good followers of Jesus for the glory of God, not not for the approval of man, but for the approval of God. But at the end of the day, eternal life is only found in Jesus. He is our only hope. He is our source for satisfaction. And today, I want to encourage you, no matter what kind of bad days you're having, Peter says, you can love life and see good days because your joy and your happiness and the good life is linked to Jesus. The last verse I wanna read, and you can stay with me as I read this verse this morning. Matthew chapter five, verse number 12. Jesus says, rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. 
Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In the good days and in the bad days, God is always working. And so today we can leave with a smile on our faces because he is in control. So you had a bad day, give God the glory. You had a great day, give God the glory. He's always working. He's always in control. Aren't you thankful today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.